Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Thanks for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is going to be Series 1, Episode 58. It's going to be the last of our released podcasts for the 2013 calendar year. This podcast today is brought to you by Stealth Craft Boats. You can reach them at stealthcraftboats.com. The reason they are the spotlight of today's podcast, well, I just made a purchase of a new boat. I will be... Shortly in the coming year, receiving a Stealthcraft ATB 16-foot boat, and I cannot wait to take that out on the water and introduce new clients and regular clients and anybody else that wants to learn how to fly fish. And apparently, if I get a bigger outboard, I could actually take this boat and use it for uh, tubing and water skiing. So we'll see how that goes in the new year. This podcast is going to be labeled Analogies and Tips for Casting Instruction. I am not the originator of a lot of these, maybe not any of them. That's for you to figure out. Maybe you've heard them before. Maybe some are new to you, but I would suggest maybe you write these down, take some notes. You might learn something new. I've been doing this for a long time, and I'll still hear analogies and think that's a novel approach to teaching someone to cast because when you're guiding majority of what I'm doing is going to be correcting people's casting. I'm not a professional caster. I don't have a fly fishing 
Federation of Fly Fishers uh, certification for casting. I don't really want one. I've gone back to school for web development. I've gone back to school for teaching. Done a whole bunch of other things in the career field that I just don't really need to go back to school and study to learn how to cast. I've been fly fishing for almost 30 years now. Um, I'm not the best caster, but I get the fly to go where it needs to go. And if I see you casting, I can definitely step in and give you hints and tricks and tips. I usually don't try to step in with somebody I don't know that's fishing on the stream. That's kind of as arrogant and obnoxious to walk up to somebody and be like, Hey man, let me kind of correct you on your casting here. You're doing this wrong. But with my clients, it's something that I'm constantly doing. We're going to go through a list of the overhand cast, the roll cast, sidearm cast. I'm not really doing any of the spade casting because I don't really, I mean, I, I can do some spade casts. There's the single spay, the double spay. There's a switch cast. There's a snap tease, but I think I do them and not really knowing the names of them. And I've never taken a casting instruction. I've had uh, the guy at Walter Reed back in the day during Project Healing Waters uh, give me some information, and I, I'd watch him instruct others on how to cast. But, uh, yeah, I've never really sat down with somebody and taken a casting lesson, sort of what I do for a living. Uh, it's just something I just developed to learn how to do on my, my own. And uh, if I knew how to roll cast at the age of 10... I probably would still have that original box of flies. I only have got two out of the probably two dozen flies I first bought on my trip up to the Shenandoah Mountains. So let's get started with some of these. Uh, like I said, you're going to have to decide which are mine and which are somebody else's. So the first one I'm going to say is uh, cast a 10 and 2. If your body is the center of a clock and above you is 12 and in front of you directly at your waist level is 9, you want to bring that rod back to 12 and stop. Let your line straighten out and then push down the rod and stop at the 10 position. Now, I usually tell my clients to stop at 12 because they're automatically going to bring their rod back and stop at one or two. So I'm preempting where they're going to stop their cast. And we're going to see how long this podcast takes. I uh, threw my back out recently making a turkey sandwich. So it's been a, a quite painful couple of weeks. I haven't really guided much. I'm not tying a whole lot right now. Because my back hurts and I can't really sit at the desk and do this. The next analogy is going to be a computer program. When you tell a computer to do something, it does it. It doesn't question you. If you tell it to do something, its job is to do that. So if your rod is the computer program, the I guess the computer and the program would be your line. Whatever you tell that line to do with your rod, it's going to do it. So if you stop your rod high, your line's going to drop. If you stop your rod to the right, your line's going to fly to the right. If you stop your line at the left, your line's going to go to the left. If you make an O in the air or a circle with your rod tip, your line's going to go over your rod and probably tangle. Whatever you tell that line to do, it will do it. The line doesn't think for itself. It does what the rod makes it do. So whatever your arm tells the rod to do, that's what your line's going to do in the end. So if you Make like a capital Z on the water with your rod tip, your line's going to slash around. And that's the method I tell people to get line out of the rod tip is make a capital Z. You have the hydrogen bonds between the line and the water, which is going to pull the line out of your rod tip. It makes tension. If you've got a practicaster at home, that's going to help you cast and we'll sort of go with this analogy. You get your practicaster 
Orvis has them, and I've got the Reddington one on Pro Guide Direct. You'll never see somebody in their office or waiting for an airplane practicing casting a fly rod. We just don't do that. You see people in airports and offices. I used to have this cube mate named Mark, and he would always be practicing his golf swing. But fly rodder people, we don't do that. I don't know why. But if you've got the practicaster, you can absolutely practice at home or in the office. This analogy goes back to the previous one about your rod being a computer and the programs align. You're steering one your car. If you turn it to the left, the car goes to the left. If you turn it to the right, the car goes to the right. If you keep it stationary, the car goes forward. Your fly rod does the same thing. If you throw your rod to the right, your line's going to the right. If you throw your line to the left, your rod to the left, the line goes to the left. If you throw your rod tip up in the air, your line's going to go up above you. If you slam it down hard, like you're uh, a teacher slapping the desk with a yardstick like I used to do, it's going to fly in front of you. So whatever you do with that rod, you have to remember that line's going to do the exact same thing. So when you get a slight tangle on your rod, don't start shaking and waving your rod around because your line is going to react. It's going to start flopping over the rod, and you're just going to further that knot, that tangle. It's just going to be worse. I have clients that are always like, oh, let me shake it free. I'm like, don't do especially if there's a drop or fly because you've got two different weights being thrown in different directions, and that's just going to completely tangle up your line. So just think of your rod as the steering wheel and your fly line as the car. You, It only does what you tell it to do. So a bad cast, if it's not windy, it's definitely your fault because it's only doing what it is instructed to do. All right, on your back cast, I want you to think of the rod as the gas gauge in your car. Your cast starts when the tank's empty. You stop the rod when the tank is half full. You don't go from an empty tank to a full tank and back. That's a full 360 degrees of casting. You're doing twice the amount of work and you're throwing the line and the rod behind you, which is probably going to hit the water and completely screw up your cast. So go from straight plane ahead of you. So three o'clock or nine o'clock up to the 12 o'clock position, empty to half full stop. Let your line straighten out behind you and down that's the casting angle you want or the casting plane. And if you stop at 12, you're still going to go back a little bit, back towards your ear a little bit, and that's a good place to stop. That's where it should stop or a little bit behind there. But you are definitely going to have to not go any further because then your rod tip is going to be pointing behind you, and that's directing your line where to go. And for us today at Four Mile Run, or me casting, I should say, I wasn't with the client is that tree that's in the middle of water and I smacked my intruder off the tree and it made a loud, loud noise. Especially if you're using expensive flies, you don't want to be doing that because you're just going to be losing them. So you want to take go up, stop, down. You don't want to go up, back, then bring it around and then drop it. And maybe just draw a picture of what I'm doing here. If we're just thinking of your gas tank gauge. That's why these are analogies. And they're not like exactly things we're supposed to do. I'm comparing them to something else to make the connection. Next up, hammer. Just like you go down with a hammer, that's the same way you should be holding your cork. And that's the way, except with your thumb up, I do the thumb up grip. I've seen you know, George Daniel at the Somerset show 
will tell you to have your finger tucked underneath. There's the three-point grip that uh, Mel Krieger instructed. But I usually have thumb on top, fingers wrapped underneath, and you go up like the hammer. And that's going to make your line fly out, go down like you're hammering a nail, Danielson. And if you can hear, my bracelet is making a noise when it goes down because my bracelet is actually moving up my wrist with the force. If you are swinging your elbow around too much, there's one analogy that is to keep your elbow on a shelf. Keep your elbow stationary. If you're having trouble doing that and your elbow's flying all around and you're leaning into your cast, if you're casting with your rod in your right hand, take your left hand and just hold your elbow. Take your elbow and stick it right into your palm and keep your left forearm against your belly and cast you're going to realize you can't move your elbow away from your body if you're holding it. And that's going to keep you from bringing your rod and line too far back, too far to the side. It's going to keep it nice tucked into your right side, which is going to help get a smoother cast. There's the jello cube analogy. Imagine you've got a six foot square of jello. Let's let's go with lime jello on your right shoulder. Your back cast makes one slice through that jello. Your forward cast has to go through that same slice, that same plane to have a smooth and accurate cast. You don't want to go back and then forward in a different direction. Think about scissors. You want your scissors, I'm using my hands here, my palms are going against each other, parallel to each other or in the same plane. You don't want them to cross each other like a pair of those broken silver scissors from school back in the day that would click when they they crossed each other. If you tell your line to go back in one direction and forward in the other, eventually your line is going to cross over the rod. And if you're using a clouser with dumbbell eyes or split shot or anything heavy, it's going to hit your rod and break it. And if it doesn't do that, it's going to nick it and put a a stretch fracture in it that's going to break in the future. Or it's going to take a chunk out. It can break off your guides. It's going to do some damage. Also, it's just going to tangle your line. If your line goes back in one direction, the rod goes down, and they're going to cross in midair. It's like Ghostbusters. You're crossing streams in midair. Austin Powers analogy, judo chop. Take your hand and pretend you're chopping a piece of wood like Austin Powers. Judo chop. Chop it. That's the same motion I want. It's just like the hammer. It comes down and stops. Arm goes up. Arm goes down, chop. You're not bringing your hand any further than parallel to the water, almost at waist level. Judo, chop. Left hand holds it. I already said that. Um, Less is more. That's one thing you always have to remember. Less is more. I don't want to hear your fly line and rod going through the air. I don't want to hear... It should sound like if you are making sound with your rod unless it's a crazy strong wind and you're trying to punch a fly into that wind you're doing the work and not your rod rods are designed to do the work for you they bend like a bow and that puts potential energy into the bow when you release the rod it releases that potential energy which then throws your line which throws your leader which then throws your fly and that's also, it's going to exhaust you. If we're on the boat all day, you're casting every two feet along a shoreline. If you're, 
you're going to get exhausted. You're going to find that muscle right behind your shoulder blades that is going to be killing you in the morning. You're going to get blisters on your hands. You're going to get calluses and your hand's going to hurt because you're gripping your rod too tight. It's just going to ruin your day. Less is more. I've had clients break fly rods from trying to muscle it too much, especially with two-handed rods. If you muscle that, you're going to put a bend in the rod where it's not supposed to go. That stress is going to snap your rod in half. A lot of the times with my clients, I end up just duct taping the ferrules together. And that just keeps the rod tips and sections from coming apart. If someone's out there muscling it all day, the rod ferrules are going to separate. And you're going to cast and that rod tip is going to shoot off into the water. It's not good. So just remember that less is more. You don't have to muscle it. That's what the rod is for. You know, rods cost several hundred dollars for a reason. They're made to do a specific job. And if you're muscling it, the rod is not doing the job it is made for. And you throw the whole thing off balance. It's not good. Let the rod make the cast. That furthers the last one. Thank goodness for alphabetical order. These two go together. Let the rod make the cast. You just bring it back and bring it forward. Bring it back. Bring it forward. You move the rod. The rod moves the line. The line moves the leader. The leader moves the fly. It's quite simple, actually. Fly fishing really is just throwing a piece of rope with a stick. That's it. And then you get into all the flies and all the other stuff, but that's the that's what it is. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Here's another one. This one you want to write down. This is the one that you try to tell people and make them remember and have them say it over and over again. Lift the rod. Move the rod in a straight line. Speed it up. Stop. So you're lifting the rod. That brings the line up out of the water behind you. Keep it in that straight line like the Jello Cube. Speed it up so your back cast will throw all that line in a straight line above your rod tip and stop. Then you bring the line forward. You do not bring that line forward until that fly has reached the end of its journey. It stops. If it's a heavy fly, you're going to feel the rod tip flick back. Then you bring your fly forward. If the fly's next to your ear on its way back when you drop that rod forward, it's going to hook you in the ear or your cast is just going to be complete crap. You have to remember to speed it up, stop, bring it forward. That fly has to completely be at the end of that line unraveling. And once it does so, then you can tell it to go forward. Don't bring it forward until it's come to that stop. It's all about timing. That's when I tell my clients, lift the rods, move the rod in a straight line, speed it up, stop. It's all in the timing. If you can throw that string, let it straighten out, punch it forward. It's a beautiful thing. If you can stand behind somebody like three or four feet behind where they're casting and just watch that fly come back at you, pause, go forward, back, forward. It's one of the coolest things. I love 
doing casting instruction when someone's got like a piece of yarn and you're behind them and you just see this it comes at you like a 3d movie and then it's gone comes at you and then it's gone all right to simplify the last one think about elementary school with stop drop and roll lift stop drop so if you can't remember lift the rod move the rod in a straight line speed it up stop lift stop drop lift the rod stop the rod that means your lines are going to straighten out behind you and then you drop the rod forward it's a three-part easy thing to remember lsd it's actually a bad analogy to shorten the letters but lift stop drop Another one. This is for the older folks, my generation. Remember we had that Luke Skywalker action figure when we were kids and the lightsaber came out of his arm from his right wrist and it was a part of his arm. It was an extension. That fly rod should be an extension of your casting arm. I want that rod up against your forearm, that rod butt on your back cast. might come off a little bit on your forward cast. I want that butt as close to your wrist as possible. That rod should just be like Luke Skywalker's orange lightsaber. It should be coming out of your hand as if it was part of your arm. That rod should be an extension of your arm. Rods are not like Harry Potter wands. They don't choose you. You choose it, but it should be your friend. If you remember when I interviewed Andy Mill a couple years ago at Somerset, I reminded him of a quote from his episode in Aspen. Oh, it was such a great episode. His quote was, holding a rod in my... Holding a fly rod in my hand is like home. It was a part of him. It felt good to be there. It was comfortable. It should be an extension of your arm. And I feel with these analogies, like I'm the guy from Happy Gilmore, like send it home. The ball wants to go home. Another one. Imagine you got a newspaper under your arm. This goes back to holding your right elbow with your left hand. Imagine you got a newspaper tucked under your armpit on your right hand, right shoulder while you're casting, do it. Just take a stick, put it in your armpit, and if it drops while you're casting, you're moving your elbow too far out. It doesn't have to be a newspaper, but that's the analogy. You're, you're going to move your bowels in the morning, and you got the newspaper rolled up under your arm. It could be a stick. I used to take a piece of half-inch PVC pipe. It could be sometimes I'll put a fly box under my client's armpit. You can put a, a $5 bill under someone's armpit. And if uh, they have it at the end of the day, it's theirs. That proves to them that they kept their elbow close to their body. On your back cast, remember I said you speed up, stop. That line should be in a straight line over your shoulder. It should never dip below the rod tip. You don't want it to look like an EKG, a bunch of up and down linesies. You want that line. So if you drew a picture of a rod, it's going to sound like this. And then your line goes off of it. You can't really hear that, but I just drew a vertical line, which would be the rod, and then coming off of it, a straight line. You don't want that line to dip below your rod because then the speed is going to be altered on your forward cast. And I'm sure if we had Trent or Dan or Dalton here or some of the other guys, Lane or uh, John or Andy, which are the casting gurus in our club, they're the ones that do the Sunday morning casting sessions at Fletcher's Cove in D.C. if you ever want to go. Um, They probably have a technical term for this. But it's, uh, I call it an EKG. You want that line straight. You don't want it going up and down. Back to uh, less is more. I don't want you to use your wrist. I don't want you to use your muscles. I don't want to hear any sound coming out of that. Clients who use their wrist are going to complain in 10 or 20 minutes that their hand hurts. Well, yes, your wrist is not made to be going back and forth all day. 
it's made to be stationary. In the wintertime, what we'll do is if you've got a five-weight rod or a six-to-eight with a nice butt, we'll tuck that rod butt into the sleeve of your casting arm, and then you'll see if your rod's coming off your wrist. It shouldn't go more than 30 degrees. If it's going 90 degrees, you're using your wrist, you're casting behind you, your rod tip is facing down, and you're hitting the water behind you. So keep it less than 30 degrees. Maybe um, you don't want to come three fingers length if you're a scotch drinker you know what i'm talking about or if you buy brie cheese how much do you want i'd like three fingers worth how much scotch two fingers worth you don't want to come about three finger distance off your wrist so wintertime we tuck that into your sleeve in the summertime i have green uh jelly bands like the ones uh, lance armstrong used to have the live strong you can if you don't have those you can just go to the grocery store get some broccoli or asparagus that purple rubber band will do the same thing. If you got a big wrist, though, it's going to be a little tight and might cut off your circulation. But don't use that wrist. That's the probably one of the first things people complain about on a guided trip if they're not listening to casting instruction is their wrist hurts. When I worked at the Ocean Reef Club in Key Largo, we had these women, old women. I'm talking they were literally brittle bones and a bag of skin. I don't want to be offensive, but we had women you know, in their 90s they were coming out to do casting lessons because they were flying to Christmas Island in a couple of weeks to go after giant trevally and bonefish. And my thought is these 80-pound women casting for giant trevally, they would just get pulled into the water like uh, uh, John Candy water skiing in the great outdoors and just get pulled all along. We didn't have the Livestrong bracelets back then, but what we did was we took bandanas and we just tied the, their wrist to the rod just to make sure that they didn't break their bones, but also just to keep their, their fragile, delicate wrists from bending too much. I mentioned how to hold a rod earlier. Just think of you got an old school luggage and it's got a handle on top, like your suitcase. You go down to pick it up, fingers go underneath, thumb goes on top, and you lift. That's how you hold a fly rod, at least if I'm guiding you. And some of the R.L. Winston rods, the ones for women designed by Joan Wolf, they will have a little thumb divot in their rod for your thumb here's another analogy for you imagine you've got a stick with a potato on top of it and you want to throw that potato forward well your rod should go in that same manner and your force should be the same potato on a stick throw it forward another thing i want to talk about and before the next analogy is that i think youtube is probably the best thing for for casting improvement casting analogies uh, in general, just just watching other people cast. I can't look at magazine articles with two-dimensional pictures and really see how the casts are done. Unless I see it actually happening, uh, it doesn't work for me. Maybe it does for you. Maybe listening to this helps. I don't know, but I'll watch the Simon uh, Gowsworth, Gaysworth, I forget Simon how to say your name, from, from Rio, watching some of his videos online and his DVD modern spade casting. But other than that, uh, yeah, YouTube is the place to go. All right. I already mentioned potential and kinetic energy, um, rubber band on your wrist, shifting gears in the car. A lot of people will false cast seven, eight, nine times. And the thing that false casting does that many times is it tires you out. It puts stress on the rod. It's going to give you more chances to tangle your line. It's going to spook the fish. So you're casting, even if you are going to be double hauling, 
should just be like shifting a car no more than four times. Yeah, you might hit fifth gear, but one false cast lets some line out or dry or fly. Two false casts let some more line out or dry or fly. Three false casts, let it go. If you got to do four, do it. The more you do it, the more detrimental to your fishing and casting experience it will be. Casting a car analogy. I already mentioned it should be effortless and silent. Stop at 12 o'clock so your rod goes past that to about one. Stop your cast at eye level. So you basically, wherever you point your rod tip is where your fly line and your fly is going to go. So if you stop at eye level, your fly will shoot out directly out of the rod tip and drop. If you're doing a puddle cast where you stop pointing up and the fly dangles down, that's good. If you're, you know, throwing a caddis or a mayfly or a hopper, but most casts you want to shoot out and stop with your arm at, you know, maybe eye level, chin level, and let that rod tip shoot the line out right at eye level, let it drop. How much effort should you be putting into that cast? Well, imagine you're just tapping somebody on the shoulder. You want to stop it and be able to just kind of, you know, just say someone's in front of you. You want to be like tapping them on the shoulder. That's about the eye distance, eye level you should be throwing at and about the motion your rod should be. Just try and tap someone on the shoulder. That's what a fly cast is like. Your bat cast. Well, there's not too many analogies for your bat cast. You know, I said I don't want it to be like an EKG. Think your rod is a cup of marbles. So your grip is a cup of marbles. Your cork is cup of marbles you want to throw those marbles behind you or you got a cup of water and you want to throw the water behind you over your shoulder that's what your back cast should be like uh throwing a wet paintbrush so your forward cast should be like throwing a hammer or imagine you're jackson pollock and your cork grip is a paintbrush you want to throw paint against the wall it should be like that toll booth gate lift stop and drop Think of a toll booth gate. They're raising our tolls now on the dullest toll road to 250, which is ridiculous. I think I'd rather be stuck in Northern Virginia traffic than have to pay that to go visit my parents down the street. But a toll booth gate only goes up 90 degrees. So your resting position, your rod is down. You lift it like a toll booth gate and it stops vertically. Judo chop. Same thing. The last one of these is going to be a capital Y. Your back cast. Stops like a capital Y, and your forecast stops at a capital Y. That's more of a 11 to 1 o'clock cast. But if you extend it and make it a bigger Y, it'd be 10 to 2. Like that movie with that guy and the metronome. All right, let's talk about roll cast. So those are my analogies. I don't know, 25, 30 for an overhand cast. I'm sure there's more, but in the time I've been storyboarding and writing this, those are the ones I came up with. Roll cast simply... Slide the line towards you, stop, and drop your rod down a little bit 90 degrees. You can use a little more oomph and a little more wrist in this. It's going to be easier if you have a floating line and if you have a dry fly. If you are casting, say, a shad fly during the shad run, bring it up once, drop, do it again, and that's going to punch your fly line out. You need to get that fly up out of the water column, closer towards the surface to enable you to cast. It's like having a sparkler. Your fly rod's a sparkler, and you want to draw a giant letter O on July 4th. Take your rod tip, bring it back, go over the top of the O, and down. Simple, right? That's what a roll cast is. And roll cast is what you do when you are using a two-handed rod 
or you are backed up against something that you don't want to hit on your back cast trees cattle people on bicycles cars now if you want to cast a little bit further you need to have less line on the water and way to do that is take the rod across your chest and go over your left shoulder and down that's more of like the harry potter cast when you want to zap somebody oops think of harry potter with his wand he's zapping somebody he's bringing it up to load and to the right also when you're roll casting you want to cast with your rod on the side that your line's on so if your line's on the your left you've got to bring that line over to roll it or you're going to cross over your rod tip and tangle so if it's on your left hand side cast with your rod across your chest you'll figure that out when it happens now the sidearm cast let's say you need to get underneath a dock or underneath some overhanging trees take your rod from list stop drop position and drop your elbow down so your hand is parallel to the water and your rod is parallel to the water one two three false casts and you should be able to skip the fly across the water or shoot it underneath your target and let's finish this short podcast with a double haul. Pretend it's Venetian blinds. You just want to pull down on your back cast. Pull down on your forward cast. So single haul, your hands should be up near each other. Your left hand should be up near your first casting guide. And you want to pull down on it like a Venetian blind when you make your back cast. When your line straightens out, pull again and then move your rod forward. That'll increase the velocity of your line. That'll enable you to cast further and faster. And that sums up the podcast for 2014. Thanks for downloading this podcast. We're going to let Jason take this one away. Jason, it's all yours. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! Oh! Look at that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.